everyone, and welcome to the Live Through Jesus podcast with Courtney Gilmore. On this episode, playing both sides and how God protects and loves those that choose him. Numbers 31, all scripture is read from the ESV version. Quickly before we get started, if you're new to Live Through Jesus, make sure you go to livethroughjesus.com and sign up to receive your free five-week Bible study over Abraham. There you'll also find blog posts that coincide with the teachings on this podcast and social media links, which is another way to keep in touch throughout the week. Okay, let's get started. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word politician? It's probably not anything positive, is it? Think about someone that's crooked, someone you can't trust, dishonest, sneaky, pandering. Something the complete opposite of straightforward and transparent, right? Have you ever watched one of these politicians on TV being interviewed? They never answer a direct question. They ask them something and they tell each side a little bit of what they want to hear, but they never say anything that can be used against them, right? In the end, you're just never quite sure where they stand. And no matter which side you're on, no one is really satisfied with their answer. Take this same politician and speak to them privately and you're fully satisfied. They tell you everything you want to hear. Sound like they completely agree with you. The problem is, is that they do this to everybody. Every single person that comes into their office, they tell them exactly what they want to hear. And you know that everybody doesn't agree. So then this leaves you wondering, where do they really stand? In the end, whenever action has to be taken, what will they do? Nobody knows, right? And this is why they get all of those labels, because they're always playing both sides of the issue, so you never quite know where they stand. A person like this is much less interested in other people and what they think and what they want than they are for their own gain, right? Everything is about self-preservation and getting the vote getting what it is that they're seeking and not actually giving you what you're seeking. This kind of person basically stands for nothing and no one can trust them. In today's lesson, we're going to find out that God feels exactly the same way about people that are straddling the fence, playing both sides, only looking out for their own interests and not ever standing for anything This person that's always trying to win, always trying to get what they want, instead of just doing what's right. So let's go ahead and begin reading in Numbers 31, verses 1 through 12. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, Avenge the people of Israel on the Midianites. Afterwards, you shall be gathered to your people. That means after this battle, Moses is going to die. So Moses spoke to the people and said, Arm men from among you for the war, that they may go out against Midian to execute the Lord's vengeance on Midian. You shall send a thousand from each of the tribes of Israel to the war. So there were provided out of the thousands of Israel, a thousand from each tribe, twelve thousand armed for war. 
And Moses sent them to war, a thousand from each tribe, together with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, with the vessels of the sanctuary and the trumpets for alarm in his hand. They warred against Midian, as the Lord commanded Moses, and killed every male. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of their slain, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. And they also killed Balaam, the son of of Beor, with the sword. And the people of Israel took captive the women of Midian and their little ones, and they took as plunder all their cattle, their flocks, and their goods. And their cities and the places where they lived and all the encampments they burned with fire. And they took all the spoil and all the plunder, both man and of beast. Then they brought the captives and the plunder and the spoils to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the congregation of the people of Israel at the camp of the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho. So because the Midianites had persuaded the Israelites to worship their gods, God told them to go out and make war with them. And so he said, choose a thousand from each tribe so that each tribe was contributing equally to this war. And so Moses did this and they went out and made war against the Midianites. And it says they killed all of the men and then took captive the women and the children and they burned the cities. Now, this was a holy war. Phineas had started this war by killing, remember, Zimri and Cosby in the last episode because Zimri was an Israelite who had brought Cosby into their camp, who was a Midianite woman. And this was a betrayal against God. And so Phineas started this war by going and killing those two people because they had betrayed God. And now Phineas is leading this war as the son of the high priest. And with him, he has brought the holy things of the tabernacle. This is showing that this is a spiritual war. This is a holy war. One religion against another. So the son of the high priest is leading this war and the people are carrying it out on behalf of God against this other religious nation. And so... They're completely victorious and they come back to the camp with all of their plunder and the women and the children. So let's go ahead and continue reading. This is verses 13 to 18. Moses and Eleazar the priest and all the chief of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. And Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds who had come from the service in war. Moses said to them, have you let all the women live? Behold, these, on Balaam's advice, caused the people of Israel to act treacherously against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And so the plague came came among the congregation of the Lord. Now, therefore, kill every male among the little ones and every woman who has known a man by lying with him. But all the young girls who have not known a man by lying with him, keep alive for yourselves. So... When they got back and Moses realized that they had allowed these women to live, he was very angry because they are the ones that had waged war on the Israelites in the first place. Remember that men had tried to curse the Israelites so that they could defeat them in war, but God foiled that plan. He didn't allow them to be cursed. Instead, he blessed them. And so 
when the men couldn't succeed, the women basically made war against the men by trying to pull them away from their God and make them worship the Midianite gods. And the women were succeeding. And so why would the women be left alive? They were as guilty as the men. They had joined in war against the Israelites in just a more subtle way. It looked as if, you know, they were making friends with them, but they were really warring against God by pulling the Israelites away from him. And so they were the whole reason that the people had gone to war in the first place. So leaving these women alive was completely unjust. They were deserving of death, just like the men. And so Moses said, all of the women that have been with other men, kill them. Because these women already are incorporated into this culture of worshiping other gods. They had a husband and he had led their home to do these things. And so these women, you cannot marry and bring into your house and then now try to get them to worship God. It's not going to work out. And then he also told them to kill all of the boys. And the reason for this is because he's going to allow them to keep the virgin women alive and marry them, but the women will only marry them and align with their God if there's no other men of their own culture for them to marry. If any of these boys are kept alive, then they would be risking these boys growing up and worshiping their own gods and then marrying these women and having these women worship their gods also. And so it couldn't be allowed for that to happen. So the only people that were allowed to be kept alive would be the virgin women. And that's because as virgins, they're able to be taken into the Israelite men's homes and incorporated into the religion of God. All of this is done to preserve the Israelites as one nation under God. They are supposed to be a holy nation set apart to the Lord. That's what the word holy technically means is set apart. And so the Israelites are supposed to be set apart to God and they can't be that if some of them worship God and some of them worship the Midianite gods. And so all of the people that worship the Midianite gods or any of the ones that remember this culture and could eventually fall back into worshiping the Midianite gods had to be killed so that the nation could be preserved by God, pure and holy, set apart to the Lord. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. So out of everybody, this set of people was chosen to be God's people. We talked about last week, they belong to him. And so their line had to be pure. So this is just confirmation that of why God is asking them to kill all of the boys and all of the women that were not virgins. Now, also in this passage, we learned that Balaam was the one that had persuaded these women to do this. So remember, 
He was the diviner that had been called by Balak, the king of Moab, to curse the Israelites in the first place. And he looks to be on God's side. We think that he is because when Balak asked Balaam to curse the Israelites, Balaam said, I can't because God has forbidden me from doing that. As a matter of fact, he told me that I need to bless the people. And so four times he blesses the Israelites. And it seems as though he's doing this because he's obeying the Lord. So you think, okay, he's on God's side. This is, this is a good guy. But it seems that he has stayed now with the Midianites. And the Midianites had joined with Balak to curse them. And then in turn, he tells the Midianites, God didn't allow me to curse the people and you should not go and try to make war against them because God has blessed them and he's not going to allow you to win in this war. But if you would like to still compromise them, if you want to weaken them, then the best way to do it is not through a curse, but through your women. And so he wasn't on God's side at all. He was playing both sides. Like we were talking about this politician who plays both sides, tells God what he wants to hear. Oh yes, I'll bless these people. I'll say the things you want me to say. And then he goes to the Midianites and he says, oh, but if you want to get what you want, really what you need to do is just tell the women to go over there and pull them away from their God. That's your best bet. And so when he's talking to God, he's saying all the right things. Whenever he's talking to the Midianites, he's saying all the right things. If he was for God, then he should have been against the Midianites. There's no spiritual neutrality. You can't straddle the fence in this situation. You have to choose a side. And it seems obvious that Balaam did not want to do that. But by playing both sides, he had earned himself death. Because he really did choose the side of the Midianites. He's staying with these people and advising them. So even though he appeared to choose God's side, he did not. And it's the same with us. God says there's no spiritual neutrality. You cannot straddle the fence. You cannot pretend to be on my side, but really be on another. You can't pretend to be on their side, but really be on mine. You're either for me or you're against me. And that was Balaam's problem. He was acting as if he was on God's side, but he was really playing against him behind the scenes. You can't do that, obviously. So I want to read you three verses that reiterate that God does not allow us to play both sides of the situation. Luke eleven twenty three says, whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. So you have only two choices. You either align yourself with God or you play against him. And in being for God, we also need to gather other people, bring other people to him. If we are not bringing other people to him in some way, then we're pushing them away. James 4, 4. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Again, that's what Balaam did. He's trying to be a friend of the world and he's made himself, in effect, he's made himself an enemy of God. That's what earned him death. 
We cannot join ourselves with the world and also align ourselves with God. It's not possible. And then Revelation 3, 14 to 16 says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. This message is from Jesus. Jesus is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And here is his message to the church of Laodicea. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would you that you were cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I have no use for someone like that. I have no use for someone that's just walking around in this world, playing both sides all the time. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yes, I go to church. Oh yes, I'm a person that loves the Lord. That's what you act like on Sunday, right? And then the rest of the week, acting like the world, doing everything that everybody else does. You're no different from everybody else, right? No one would even know you were a Christian if they didn't talk to you on Sunday. You're not set apart to God. You're not holy. That is what God wanted the nation of Israel to be. And that's what he wants us to be also. Set apart to him. Different from the world. Not walking around acting like everybody else. Doing whatever we want. Total disregard for him and his ways. God has no use for a person like that. It says he he would rather spit you out of his mouth. We may not think that we can relate to Balaam because we're not in a wartime situation. We're not, you know, actively going against God behind his back. But it's the same thing. If we're doing that, if we're going to church on Sunday or when we talk to these certain people, we act in a certain way. When we talk to these certain people, we act in a certain way. Then nobody knows whose side you're on. No one knows whose side you're on. Are you on God's side or could you just as well be an atheist? No one knows. If the people at church see us out in the world and we're acting completely different, then they don't trust us, right? They don't trust that we love the Lord. And if the people in the world hear that we go to church, they start to doubt, what is this person about? Do they disagree with all the things that I do? They never say anything. I don't know how they feel about me now. I thought they were on board with all of the things that we've been doing, but maybe not. I don't know. Now I don't know how to act around it. Neither side trusts a person like this because you're straddling the fence, lukewarm. So not only can people not trust you, but also neither can God. God cannot trust you to stand up for him. He cannot trust you to be on his side. And if he can't trust you to be on his side, you may as well be against him because at least then everybody knows where you stand. When you don't know if somebody's for you or against you, then you don't know whether to fight against them or bring them in, right? And so God says, if I, if I can't tell, <laughs> then I'm going to assume you're against me. That's the safest bet, right? If you're not sure if somebody's on your side, if you don't know whether they're going to go and talk about you behind your back later, then you're just not going to say anything to them. You just don't tell them these things, right? You can't trust them. So you might as well just decide they're somebody that I just need to be against. Okay, so 
Let's keep reading. Numbers 31, 19 to 24. Encamp outside the camp seven days. Whoever of you has killed any person or whoever has touched any slain person, purify yourselves and your captives on the third and the seventh day. You shall purify every garment, every article of skin, all of the goat's hair, and every article of wood. Then Eleazar the priest said to the men in the army who had gone to battle, This is the statute of the law that the Lord God has commanded Moses. Only the gold, silver, bronze, iron, tin, and lead, everything that can stand the fire, you shall pass through the fire, and it shall be clean in that way. Nevertheless, it shall also be purified with water for impurity. And whatever cannot stand the fire, you shall pass through the water. You must wash the clothes on the seventh day, and you shall be clean, and afterwards you shall come into the camp. So, this is the law of purification that God has already explained to them back in Numbers 19. And because death is a result of sin and is a symbol of corruption and decay, then the people need to be purified from it. And so, since all of these possessions had been obtained in war and had come from a corrupt land, then all of them needed to be purified. And then because these men had killed people and encountered death and been in this corrupt foreign land, they all needed to be purified. And so they were just laying out all of the ways that the people and the possessions needed to be purified. Now, in verses 25 through 54, God instructs the people to take an inventory of all of the things that they've plundered. I'm not going to read that because it is a hard read. (laughs) So I'm just going to summarize to you what he says. He says, count all of the things that you have collected from this war and then half them between the soldiers and the people. And then the soldiers are going to give one out of every 500 to the priests And the priests are going to take this on behalf of God. It's like going to be an offering to the Lord. And then the people out of their half, one out of every 50 is going to go to the Levites in service to the tabernacle. And then they also give over 400 pounds of gold jewelry to the Lord to make atonement for themselves. And so here is the inventory. I'm just going to lay out the numbers for you, okay? The total number of sheep that they got was 675,000. So the soldiers got 337,500 of the sheep, and then the people got the same number. And then the people gave 6,750 sheep to the Levites in service to the tabernacle. And then the soldiers gave 675 to the priests. Now, the total number of cattle was 72,000, each of the two groups getting 36,000. The people gave 720 of the cattle to the Levites in service to the tabernacle, and the soldiers gave 72 of the cattle to the priests. They got 61,000 donkeys, 30,500 is how many the soldiers got and also how many the people got. And then the people gave 610 to the Levites and the soldiers gave 61 donkeys to the priests. And then the total amount of virgin women was 32,000. So 16,000 of those went to the soldiers, 16,000 of those went to the people 
And then the people gave 320 to the Levites and the soldiers gave 32 to the priests. So as you can see, they got a lot from the Midianites. Now I'm going to read just verses 48 and 49 from that passage. I summarized the whole passage, but I want to read you 48 and 49. And it says, Then the officers who were over the thousands of the army, the commanders of thousands and hundreds, came near to Moses and said, Your servants have counted the men of war who are under our command, and there is not one man missing from us. So the total amount of virgin women was 32,000. And then do you remember how many soldiers were sent into battle? How many Israelite soldiers were sent into battle? Only 12,000. So there were 20,000 more virgin women than there were even soldiers. That was just virgin women, not all the women. And so how many men could there have been that these 12,000 men killed? Had to have been a lot, a lot more of the Midianite men than there were of these 12,000 Israelite men. And yet not one of the Israelite men died and all of the Midianite men died. You think that, that the Israelites are just that good of soldiers or the Midianites are just that inept? The odds of that are <laughs> huge, right? That just doesn't happen. You don't take 12,000 men into battle to fight probably three or four or five or six times that number of men and not one of them die and all of the others die. The odds of the nation that has the least soldiers losing no one and the nation that has the most soldiers losing everyone is basically nothing, right? So this was a miraculous thing. God is the one who did this. This is why the Moabites didn't want to go to war with Israelites in the first place because they knew what God was able to do. And now the Israelites know it too. Now they're looking at their numbers and they're seeing not one single person lost their life in this battle. God miraculously protected us because, why? Because they're on God's side, right? And all of those that were not on God's side died. This is not a coincidence. Even within the Israelite community, those that go against God, the ones that were worshiping other gods, God went against them too. And then all of those that were for him, that fought for him, he preserved. So this shows us that if we choose God, if we are on his side, then he protects us, he cares for us, he loves us, and he brings us victory. But if we are against him, then we can expect the opposite. That politician plays both sides because he wants to win, right? He wants everyone to vote for him. But God says, you can't play both sides. If they vote for you, then I'm voting against you. But if I vote for you, you win, right? God takes care of the ones that align themselves with him. When we separate ourselves from the world and join ourselves to him, then we join the right side. So we're just going to end with a few verses that talk about that. Deuteronomy 6.24 says, The Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he may preserve us alive 
as we are this day. So it's to our benefit. If we are looking for our own gain or our own preservation, then we need to join God's side because it says it is to our benefit, to our gain, and he will preserve us. So if that's what we're looking for, then we need to be on his side. And then this is Psalm 37. It says, Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, and he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their vow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their vow shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil days. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of pastures. They vanish. Like smoke, they vanish away. The wicked borrows, but doesn't pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of the man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children beg for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him in his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Therefore I sought him, but he couldn't be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for this man of peace. 
but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in their time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So did you hear the language of this entire chapter? The righteous and the wicked. No in-between. And then he tells all the ways that God blesses the righteous, how he preserves the righteous, how he cares for the righteous, how he makes them victorious, and how he defeats the wicked. And they are gone. They are no more. They may look in the beginning as if they're prospering, but they're not. God will defeat them. There's no middle ground. And so we want to choose God's way. That's the whole moral of this lesson. Now, God gave victory to the people in an actual physical war, but Jesus talks about the spiritual battle that we'll all face. And this is John 15, 18 to 21. And he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they don't know him who sent me. So again, you can't be a friend of the world because the world's going to hate you if you're a friend of God. You can't play both sides. You Again, that politician that's trying to say everything right and please both sides, both sides are not pleased. As soon as you say the one thing that they don't like, then they're against you. And that is the way it will be with the world, Jesus says. If you talk about me, if you act in the ways that please me and show people that you are on my side, then they're going to be against you. That is the way it's going to be. And so you just have to be prepared for that. But no, they were against me too. And all of this is okay because you are aligning yourself with the right person. You're not going to be able to please both sides. Even the politicians do not do that. And so Jesus says, if you will align yourselves with me, even though the world hates you, God is going to help you. So listen to what he tells the disciples in John 17, 11 to 18. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given to me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except for the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So that's talking about Judas, the one that betrayed him. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak to the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So Jesus is asking God, give them victory because they have aligned themselves with you. Don't allow the world to defeat them. God is always on our side if we are aligning ourselves with him.
Last verse, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, don't let yourself be conformed to this world. Transform yourself by renewing your mind in the things of God. If you want to be on God's side, you have to associate yourself with him. Remember how Balaam acted like he was on God's side, but then he stayed with the Midianites. You can't do that. You can't stay with this world and then say that you are aligning yourself with God. We have to associate ourselves with him. We have to align ourselves with him in our words, in our deeds, so that we will be transformed into the people that he wants us to be, good and acceptable and perfect according to him. So this week, think about whose side are you on? Are you straddling the fence? Are you trying to please the world, keep them from hating you by not revealing that you love the Lord to them? Or are you trying to show the Christians that, oh yeah, I love God. I'm a good person. I go to church and then not really acting like it any other day of the week. Does God know that you're on his side? Do the people of this world know that you are on God's side? Or are you afraid to tell them? You are not going to gain anything by playing both sides. You're not preserving yourself in any way. That verse in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6, 24, says it is for our good, it is for our gain to align ourselves with the Lord. And then he will preserve us. So if you want to be preserved, if you want to win, if you want to gain something in this life, then you have to side with him. Choose him and he will choose you. Set yourself apart to be one of his people and then he'll fight for you all day long. So that's all we have today. Next week, we're going to end numbers. We're going to stop talking about numbers and we'll be moving into Deuteronomy beginning in January. So the last lesson we will do is over the inheritance of the Israelites, what the people will get because they've aligned themselves with him. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that episode. If you haven't already, go to my website, livethroughjesus.com, and get your free Bible study there. And then also look around at all the blog posts. And then join me at Live Through Jesus on your social media so that you can see some of the things that I post throughout the week. Thanks and have a good day.